0: MP, 2020 is in full swing and our second wellness base camp of the year is not far away. That's right, Bretto. Camden, just out of Sydney, hosts the wellness base camp on Saturday, April 4th. Our base camp theme for 2020 is release your overwhelm and find your clarity. Kim Morrison will help you get clear on all things self-love Marcus Pierce will help you find your clarity on life, purpose, and relationships. And the great man, Brett Hill, will help you release limiting beliefs and develop a growth mindset. And as always, expect a surprise or two, Marcus. Saturday, April 4, the Camden Civic Centre. Tell your friends, bring your family and colleagues, and make sure you go to the website, brett TheWellnessBaseCamp.com and there are two-for-one tickets available right now. That's Saturday, April 4th in Camden. Tickets at TheWellnessBaseCamp.com. The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by LCHF Endurance. Stabilise your blood sugar, burn fat, decrease inflammation, and become fat-adapted in just 12 weeks. I'm so excited to share with you that LCHF Endurance is currently 50% off for a limited time only. Simply use the code LCHFE50 to sample the program, check out the kind of meals you'll get to eat, and cancel within 7 days if it's not your sugar-free jam. Head to lchfendurance.com.au and use the code LCHFE50 for 50% off your upfront program payment today. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Wirth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? Real? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In episode 263 of The Real Food Real, we share with you part two of how to optimize your plant-based lifestyle with Ellie McLean. You will learn about digestion from the top down, including leaky gut and the signs and symptoms to be aware of. Ellie talks to the significance of bio-individuality when it comes to your dietary choices and why your personal nutrition should not be based on what you see on social media or on the back of a cereal box. Ellie then shares the foundations of her plant-based plate, all about caffeine, cortisol and fat burning, the impact of PCOS and so much more. You're
1: not always going to be able to retain that iron. So it's really important to optimize gut health to support nutrient status.
2: Yeah. And how do we do that?
1: Mm. so there's a couple of things uh, you know along the way to consider so I mentioned before that you need to have like adequate stomach acid and yes. just spiring and you need adequate bile secretion so that's further up the chain that's like at the stomach level stomach level or between um, the stomach and the small intestine but before you get there so further up the chain like towards your mouth like digestion begins when you see food So digestion begins when you see food and you will all have experienced when you like see a lemon or you see a really yummy meal and your mouth starts to water. Yeah. Yeah. That's digestion starting to take place because in that saliva Mm -hmm. is enzymes that help to break down food, particularly carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. So digestion is starting in the mouth and then we have teeth. So teeth help us to break down food and that breakdown process, um, Increases um, surface area on that that food, those food particles. So the enzymes in our stomach have more surface area to do their job on. So that means that there's more chance of that food really being broken down to its nuts and bolts, and therefore the nutrients being more accessible by the time they go to our small intestine for absorption. That's a good tip. <laughs> <laughs> so for um, for people on a, on a, a plant based. Diet. I recommend some digestive support to stimulate the release of those digestive enzymes Mm -hmm. um, and stomach acids. So that could be something like apple cider vinegar. Okay. Or a digestive bitter. So anything that's bitter Mm -hmm. is going to stimulate that process. So apple cider vinegar can be a really nice inclusion, and that might be like one teaspoon to a tablespoon at the start of the day. Mm. And if you're really comfortable with how it tastes, it may be something that you do before each of your main meals. Mm. I also recommend deep, deep belly breathing. So for anybody that does feel like they're lacking in a bit of digestive firepower or for anybody who feels like they eat on the run or they are stressed and so maybe they're that person who is like predisposed to anxiety, deep belly breaths before you eat. So try and reduce your breathing rate to about four breaths over the course of the minute, which means you're going to breathe in for eight, breathe out for eight and do that four times before you start eating because that switches on the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got the sympathetic nervous system, we've got the parasympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic nervous system is our rest and digest state. Sympathetic nervous system is our fight or flight state. When we're in that fight or flight state, our body is not prioritizing the release of digestive enzymes and secretions. Mm -hmm. So we want to be in that parasympathetic state when we eat. So taking those four deep belly breaths can really help just to prime your body for digestion.
2: That's amazing. Mm. So that's
1: higher up the chain when it comes to digestive health. Mm. Further down the chain, we start to reach the small intestine. We start to reach the large intestine. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where we want the balance of bacteria to be just as it should be mm-hmm. so the large intestine we want our beautiful rainforest lots of diversity and in our small intestine we don't want too much of that we actually don't want a lot of bacteria in our small intestine Ah, oh, okay yeah so poor motility slow transit time will lead to risk of bacteria moving from the large intestine to the small intestine, Mm -hmm. and that's when we get a condition called SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Ah, Mm. I've
2: never heard of it before.
1: Probably means you don't have it, which is a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, SIBO is often correlated with bloating straight after meals, reacting to high FODMAP foods, um, uh, flipping between constipation, diarrhoea, or maybe just leaning in one of those camps. So you you know something's up if you've got SIBO, but it may take a while for it to be diagnosed. But you are going to have trouble um, with nutrient status and retention if you've got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth.
2: Wow. Yeah. So if you think about it, our
1: small intestine is where most of our nutrients, most of the absorption is taking place. So if the waters are moneyed with bacteria there that shouldn't be there then that process is impacted.
2: Yeah. And we're not getting the nutrients that we need.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yep, exactly.
2: And then the other consideration
1: is intestinal permeability. So, my way of thinking about the digestive system to make it really simple is that it has three roles to play. Mm-hmm. One is that it acts as a barrier of defence between us and the outside world. So it stops pathogens, bacterias, undigested proteins getting from the inside of our gut to our bloodstream. Mm-hmm. The second is that our digestive system needs to help us efficiently and effectively break down the food that we consume. So it can do the third job, which is to help us maximise the retention and absorption of the nutrients that we consume Within that food, so they're like the three major functions of the digestive sy- digestive system that I always come back to, yeah, and what also can really be impacted by a poor diet is that barrier of defence. So that increased intestinal permeability that I was talking about so before the leaky gut, the leaky gut, yeah and I use the analogy of a fly screen so you know a fly screen's got very fine pores in it which allow air to pass from one room to another but they don't allow things like mosquitoes or spiders to get from the outside to the inside that's like our gut we've got these fine pores which are called tight junctions uh, which allow broken down like proteins and nutrients to get from you know one side to the other but if that that fly screen starts to become damaged like our dog runs into it every day and suddenly the holes start to form well then the mosquitoes get through and then the spiders can get through and so Mm -hmm. suddenly what's supposed to just be on the outside starts to get to the inside and that can happen with our gut
2: yes what what are the
1: physical symptoms of leaky gut then the well, the physical symptoms of leaky gut they, they manifest in in many different ways so mm-hmm. it could be reactivity to foods yeah. and um, like seemingly reactive to everything oh. you know so that that was me in my late 20s you know when you react to the broccoli and you react to the beetroot and you react to the dairy and you react to the nuts and like, what you do you feel like yeah what can I eat um, so you're mm-hmm. you're reactive um, it could manifest in um, in 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 skin breakouts it could manifest in eczema and rash Mm. Um, it could manifest in nutrient deficiency you could manifest in low mood lethargy poor quality sleep poor recovery from exercise so there are lots of signs of that that Mm. quote-unquote leaky gut
2: i think a lot of those things you just mentioned a lot of the listeners at home will be sitting here listening and going oh, my gosh, that's me. Oh, that's me too. I know I'm sitting here right now a little bit concerned as
1: well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So gut health is another area. Like we were talking before about making sure your health is in the right place before you take on a plant-based lifestyle. And gut health has to be in place as well. So one of the major functions or one of the major tools that we use to repair that increased intestinal permeability is glutamine and collagen
2: okay so and meat yeah
1: yeah yeah you got it <laughs> <laughs> so know, there's
2: no plant-based form of collagen so no
1: do you know we're actually the only vegan animal in the world that doesn't eat collagen
0: what?
1: we are the only vegan animal oh, in the world we are. so if we are vegan so if we choose to take on a 100% plant-based diet mm-hmm. We're the only animal in the world that would be 100% vegan. So if you look at cows and sheep, there's usually insects and flies on the grass that they're consuming, and that's where they get their collagen from. We don't get that no. you know if you're 100 percent plant-based mm. you're not getting those flies on the on the, on the spinach <laughs> well, he is, world he he he, is hoping yeah you're <laughs> hopefully not getting the flies <laughs> on the spinach um we can support internal collagen production um with adequate intakes of proline and amino acid mm-hmm. um and with adequate amounts of vitamin c which supports the the production of collagen um, within
2: ourselves yes yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Or you can supplement with a marine collagen or you can Mm. supplement with
2: vegan amino acids. That's amazing because I actually recently had a question through my Instagram asking about how to get collagen on a plant-based diet. So, it's amazing Mm. that this has come up.
1: Yeah. Well, it's an area that I was really thinking about a couple of months ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. marine collagen or the vegan aminos which will help with your natural production but um i also really like to use a supplemental form of glutamine as well um with cases of leaky gut with somebody on a largely plant-based diet yeah you know supplements where necessary and in some cases, yeah. leaky gut, you need to use what you can to support the recovery of it.
2: Absolutely. And then perhaps in the future, if it's, you know, in a really good state again, then you potentially don't need to be on the supplement. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole purpose with supplements. And that's why I see food as the foundation, because you don't want to be on a supplement for life if you can avoid it. You don't want to be on a medication for life if you can avoid it. So you have to set the foundations for health, which is what you choose to eat, like, Mm -hmm. 21 times a week. We have 21 (laughs) 21 meals in a week for most people.
2: It sounds so simple, doesn't it? You know, just eat well and your body will behave well.
1: It does sound incredibly simple, but unfortunately, nutrition is now just uh, – I'm probably not doing it justice, but like a multi-billion dollar industry, isn't it? And it has been for decades and unfortunately it's the industry behind nutrition which has made it so confusing for people. And that's why I love being a practitioner and working with people one-on-one because Mm. you can actually sit down with someone and create a plan that is specific to them and the stage in their life. And it's a luxury, you know, but I think taking care of your health and the foundations of your health. It shouldn't be seen as a luxury that you can do without. You know, your nutrition information should not come from the back of a cereal packet. It (laughs) shouldn't come from social media. Mm. It shouldn't come from
2: today, tonight. Your nutrition information should be relative to you. Exactly, bio-individuality. Yep. Everybody is different. What works for me won't work for you. Yes. It might not work for you. And exactly the same as the next person you're going to walk by on the street for me and you to just say oh, I'm just going to follow keto or something like that like it might not work for you it might work for me yeah exactly and it may work for a period of time and then it may have a lifespan yeah exactly and you have to move on
1: and we change as well like times in our lives change you know we go from um from being stressed to not being stressed we go from trying to conceive to conceiving to being pregnant you know we go from being young to being old there are different stages in our lives that's going to require different different dietary intake.
2: And so yeah. you've it's got important to get professional help when you need it. And yeah. you know, that's not uh, yeah, like people would consider it a luxury to go see a nutritionist, but I think we have to change that mentality. It mm. should really be something like maybe we shouldn't even be allowed to eat until, until we've we seen a nutritionist. Yeah, like, that person knows what I should be eating. So yeah. I'm going to go to them for I even eat anything. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's, um,
1: you know, it's the fuel that we put in our body and it's really, for me, it's like disconcerting that we don't get enough information on the fuel that goes in our body no. from a young age. You know, it's like a mechanic not knowing what petrol goes in a car and you know and and giving a mechanic their job without understanding petrol yes i just find it really baffling that we don't understand it enough and i know going a little bit off topic but i feel the same way about female hormones Mm -hmm. and our cycle Mm -hmm. in that we don't get taught about our cycle at school or as As young girls we just get told don't have unprotected sex yeah you know go on the pill
2: I know. Well, that's yeah. all the doctors give you. It's just here's the pill. We're not told that, you know, our body is going to be influenced in a different way at each different part of our cycle. We're going to be able to exercise differently, our capacity for food and, like, the need for excess calories. Like, mm. we're not told any of that.
1: No, we're not told that we're only fertile for six days of the month. We're just told, shut up. Lock up. Yeah, pretty <laughs> lock much. up. Um, but, th- yeah, there's just... There's just some life lessons that I feel need to be brought into Mm -hmm. the education system or that needs to be in some parenting manual or something. (laughs) I'm not a parent, so I can't really speak on that. But there just seems to be this lack of awareness around some really... like, basic, like, human function.
2: I agree with you and I think that's why us sitting here having this conversation right now is really important because we'll be able to raise at least our own small little part of the world, some awareness in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're also in control of our health yeah. and, um, you know, there's nothing that frustrates me more than when I, than when I you know, start working with a new client who's, let's say, on a smorgasbord of medications um, and they don't know why they're on the medication. You know, the doctors just told them to take it. And I may even ask something as probing as, can you get me the blood tests that you had taken just before you started taking the medication? And they don't have the tests. You know, they're still with the doctor. So, you know, first of all, take control of your health and be willing to ask questions When when you're given advice by professionals, whether it's me, whether it's a doctor, whether it's your osteo, whether it's your physio, like understand why they're giving you advice, not necessarily so you can push back and not take that advice, but just so you can learn and understand what you're doing for yourself. And then the second thing is if if you have testing done, hold on to that. Mm -hmm. You know, that testing is your personal information. It's gold. You know, you want to be able to look back retrospectively and see the blood test results that you've had or the urine Mm -hmm. sampling or the hormone testing or the stool sampling. (laughs) You want that
2: information. So hold on to it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's something that I've been good enough with in the past as well, going to get blood tests. And I don't ask for a physical copy of it. So it's definitely something I'm gonna start doing.
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't even know that they can ask for a physical copy, but (laughs) you're hearing me now, it's your information. Ask for the printout and go and put it in a file somewhere or take a picture of it and store it in an album on your photos or something. Um, Hold on to that information though, because it's really valuable.
2: Definitely. Mm. So we just went on a beautiful tangent just then and I love where we went, but I think we should direct the conversation back (laughs) to Leaky Gut and where we were sitting before. Um uh, we talked about some of my like
1: some of the key things, which is to support digestion from the top of the chain, um, start supporting diversity further down the chain, mm-hmm. making sure you're avoiding cases of leaky gut or intestinal permeability and um, you know on a plant-based protocol that, that does really need to be done with supplements um, for somebody that's not on a purely plant-based protocol and they may choose to include like a good quality bone broth, for example. Um, and making sure that transit time is also really nice and swift. Yeah. yeah so,
2: so by transit time, we mean removal of fecal matter. Yeah. Moving your bowels regularly. So how many times do you, this is probably going to seem like a taboo question. <laughs> how many times a day should we poo? Well, we, should or poo we? <laughs> we should poo between one to
1: three times a day. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for some people it might be once a day. That's great. For some people, it may be three times a day. There's nothing to be afraid of or yeah. concerned about. Quality of that bowel motion is important as well. So you don't want it to be like a loose mess. You also don't want it to be really hard to pass and you know dry and pebbly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really cool website called the poop pageant if you want to go into that in a little more detail so just google poop pageant and you can see where your poop sits on that um That's on that row so great yeah <laughs> um and daily so you know some people i'll ask them as part of our get to know you you know are you moving the bowels regularly and they'll say yep yeah. i go every three days <laughs> and I say, right, we've got some work to do. So you need to be moving your bowels daily. It's a key part of the detox process. So through that stool, we eliminate toxins. I mm. think we got sidetracked before. And we we're talking about toxins, um but we eliminate toxins through our stool. We eliminate excess hormones through our stool. It's something that we we want to be taking place daily. Otherwise, we run the risk of all of those things going back into circulation yep. because we're not moving our bowels. Yeah.
2: Mm. Ugh,
1: nasty. Yeah, and those toxins will contribute to imper- intestinal permeability and bacterial imbalance and dysbiosis.
2: Mm. Yes. Not good. I had a friend who went three weeks without doing a balance. Three weeks. A couple of years ago. I think she's okay now, but it was very concerning. It was yeah. a hard lump in the lower abdomen. It end. would have been, and she would have really struggled
1: to eat by the end of that. Yeah. So I gather there was nothing that was getting her moving. No.
2: Yeah. Nothing. I think in the end it was actually kombucha a day. For some reason she started drinking wine a day and it started to help. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting.
0: Yes.
2: Kombucha?
1: Just so you don't all listen to this and think I'm going to go drink, you know, my bottle <laughs> <Yeah>. a day. Don't. <laughs> um, kombucha was t- traditionally served in 45 to 50 mil shots. So that really should be, is really um, how we should be consuming kombucha okay. these days. It's um, a yeast forming bacteria as well. So... For anybody with, like, predisposition to candida overgrowth, um, then it's it's not something to consume a lot of.
2: There we go. In
1: moderation, it's okay, though.
2: Oh, that's so handy. You just know so many things. I feel like I could pick your brain for hours. <laughs> You'll reach the bottom at some point. I doubt it. I really don't. <laughs> like a Mary Poppins bag, pulling out all these things. Oh, that's so lovely of you. Thank you. <laughs> of course. So let's get back to your gut health story because obviously you were able to find some relief. Yes.
1: Yeah. So relief through understanding, and I worked with a practitioner as well through overcoming the parasites. I worked with a few different practitioners. So relief through strategic use of some supplements mm-hmm. so I do use now magnesium that's mm-hmm. something that I use daily yep um, and through my diet through I, I don't consider the way I eat to be restrictive in any way but some people looking from the outside in may consider the way I eat to be restrictive
2: well let's talk but about how you how do mm-hmm. you
1: eat? Mm-hmm. Like I don't consider it restrictive because it makes me feel good and because I go to the toilet daily (laughs) and because I don't bloat after every meal and I don't have reflux. So for me, it's it's actually far from restrictive. It's actually opening up doors because I'm not grumpy, I'm not moody, I don't feel heavy, I have an appetite, I have my period back. So for me, the way I eat is not restrictive, it's conducive to, to, to my health. Yeah. Um. Oh, what do I eat well yeah hmm. um, so I would say I have a largely plant based diet mm-hmm. but I do um, I do eat butter and I do eat eggs I don't eat gluten so that is one thing that I exclude yeah. and I don't miss bread I don't miss pasta but if I am at an Indian restaurant I do wish that I was having the naan that everybody else around me is having that's like yeah. the one thing that I that I don't have that I do miss but otherwise I don't I don't feel like I'm missing out at all through not having gluten Mm. Um, I don't eat dairy um, aside from grass fed butter I eat an abundance of vegetables pretty much every vegetable except I don't eat a lot of beetroot okay it's still a trigger for me Mm.
0: um
1: and I eat my primary sources of protein are hemp seeds hemp powder a little bit of pea protein (gasps) I eat um organic non-gmo tofu tempeh yeah uh i eat eggs sometimes i eat lentils and legumes sometimes but i usually always pair them with hemp seeds yeah um so i can get adequate protein but without the same load of um the like the legumes
2: yeah of course Mm because legumes can be quite reactive for some people can't they they can,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. They can be quite hard to break down, especially if they're not soaked well or especially if you've not got... You know, good gut health, Mm -hmm. so they can be quite hard to break down and get adequate protein from a serve of, let's say, chickpeas. You would need a cup of chickpeas,
2: yeah. For most people, that's a lot, yeah, and a lot of bloat that's about to happen, yeah, a lot of uh, discomfort. Yes, I experienced that.
1: Yes, so pair it with something else. So, you may do your half a cup of chickpeas and add it with three tablespoons of hemp seeds, and between the two, you'll get about 20 grams of protein, which you know, is the goal that I set for most of my clients at most meals of the day yeah. not every meal of mm. the day so yeah i eat an abundance of vegetables i have vegetables at every meal i have protein with most meals i have good quality fats with every meal yeah. so that's things like avocado nuts and seeds i'm just a fiend for tahini <laughs> um, it's creamy it's calcium rich yeah um Oils, so flaxseed oil, olive oil, avocado oil, and coconut oil.
2: Yeah.
1: Coconut creams and milks. Yeah. And then some root vegetables, so some more starchy vegetables, so potato, sweet potato. I'll you know I'll have um, semi-frequently, and I have lots of berries.
2: Yeah. Mm. Amazing, packed with antioxidants. Yes. Very yeah. Good. Very good for vitamin C as well. I always know what I'm starting to feel a little bit on the. You know, on the weather, I have a smoothie bowl or something like that, and I'm just like, hmm, I'm better now.
1: Yeah, and also full of polyphenols and prebiotics are great for our gut bacteria.
2: Mm. I've got to be so full of polyphenols because I drink like (laughs) five cups of green tea a day. It's
1: crazy. (laughs) You need to drink that much of green tea for the therapeutic value, so
2: keep going. I'm obsessed with it, so it's a good thing to be obsessed with. That actually leads me into a questioning line that I'd really like to ask you about, and it's your opinion on coffee. Yes, coffee. Okay, so you asked me what I eat
1: and I do have a coffee a day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have um, a coffee with a dash of coconut milk. So that's how I have my coffee. Yeah. Now, pe- different people have different to- different tolerance to coffee mm-hmm. um, and I guess it depends on the perspective you're coming from. So are you concerned about coffee from um, like a cortisol, um, like hormone response yeah. yeah okay
2: for me in particular that's why i know for some people there this is coming from more of an anxiety sort of thing so it obviously spikes their anxiety gets them you know the caffeine that sort of thing yeah for me it's purely to do with the cortisol levels
1: yeah so um caffeine ha-
2: has been shown to
1: cause a rise in cortisol mm-hmm. and it's dependent on the individual and their tolerance And how much coffee they're used to having as to how high that rise will be okay so some interesting research if you take people off coffee for five days and then give them coffee their response to that caffeine their cortisol response to that caffeine is going to be greater yeah. than the individual who was having coffee for the five days yeah previous yeah Yeah. that makes a lot of sense yeah you always feel a little a little bit more when you haven't had it yeah. so you, you have those signs of perhaps sweet palms or a little bit of like jitteriness yeah uh so i don't mind coffee but it is a Like it is a um, dose-dependent discussion. Mm -hmm. So most people can tolerate one a day. More than that, I tend to try and figure out an exit plan. Yeah. Um, You know, whether you're somebody that has trouble sleeping, whether you're somebody that is in more of a sympathetic state, so you're in more of that like fight or flight state, you've got high cortisol
2: Mm -hmm. levels, um, Which is generally when we're feeling stressed, people reach for the coffee. They've got, I've got to stay up. I've got to write this to email. Going. You know, I've got to keep going. They're just like constantly in that sympathetic yeah, yes. system. Yeah. And when
1: I see people drinking lots of coffee over the course of the day, so if I'm analyzing somebody's food diary, I instantly flag that as a mask. Mm. So it's a mask for not getting enough sleep or not eating the right food okay. if you have to pick yourself up with caffeine multiple times a day mm-hmm. it's a mask yeah. you know your food should sustain your energy requirements your sleep should support your recovery and your energy levels yeah and so if you're drinking an abundance of coffee it's usually a mask and a sign that something else needs to change mm. um that's well, an incredible insight Mm. hopefully so what coffee will do is if it's spiking that cortisol it's going to impact also the ability to burn fat and this comes back to why again i see coffee as a mask so cortisol levels you know from an evolutionary perspective it's it's a great hormone and it's still a great hormone you know it gives us that get up and go in the morning we need Mm -hmm. cortisol to you know to work towards a deadline for example but when we're constantly in a state of fight or flight constantly got elevated or increasing levels of adrenaline and then um equally high levels of cortisol that's not a good thing no cortisol causes the release of glycogen from the liver so from an evolutionary perspective great thing because we want those sugars mobilized to support that fight or flight response we want the energy yeah Yeah. Mm. To run from the saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. But in this day and age, like, we're in a state of high alert almost all day long. Mm. So we've got this age-old stress response taking place without the actual need to fight or flee. Yeah. So elevated blood sugar levels, increasing insulin levels, Mm. because insulin is that hormone that helps to stabilize blood sugars. But insulin is also a fat storage hormone. I was going to say. So... When somebody's in that fight or flight state all day long, they're going to be in a sugar-burning state, which means they're going to have cravings over the course of the day for carbohydrate-rich foods, sugary
2: foods. They're also going to have cravings for coffee. Mm, that's a completely relatable statement for so many people. Yeah. I know that. We're constantly seeking that little coffee fix or a little sugar fix just to yeah, keep us going. keep us going. And
1: what I see in people who are perhaps taking a plant-based approach to diet and not doing it in the right way is that the meat that would previously have perhaps been on their plate is being replaced with carbohydrates and even worse, refined carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So an old lecturer of mine referred the, to these people as vegetarians. <laughs> you know? <laughs> people, yeah. the foundation of
2: their plate is carbohydrate. Yes, So like just to- having pasta and some Napoli. Yes, exactly. I've seen it done
1: before and I say that's not how you do it. Yes, Or sweet potato with some, you know, avocado guacamole on top. That's a huge craze right now. Or or, Yeah. yeah, So all of that carbohydrate is going to, um, for similar reasons, it's going to put you back into that sugar-burning state because you're going to have high levels of circulating insulin, which Mm. is going to inhibit fat-burning fat burning Um, and inhibit the use of fat as a fuel
2: source that's incredible yeah yeah no people don't realize that the choices that they're making throughout the day that quick little i'll just grab that muffin at the cafe while i'm heading to this is actually preventing them from losing fat for one of them but also you know kind of inhibiting like any type of beneficial like you know you're just stressed and you're eating and oh
1: yes Yes, um, and uh, what, what we always remind clients is that cravings are a result of previous food choices, yeah? So if you're getting that 3.30-itis on a Tuesday afternoon and all you need is the chocolate bar, then think about what you've eaten the 5 hours, 10 hours, 24 hours previous, you know. Mm. Was it uh, a beautiful Buddha bowl with mm. kale, pumpkin, hemp seeds, avocado and flaxseed oil or was it a bowl of pasta with a tiny bit of Napoli sauce yeah. followed by the vegan chocolate? <laughs> yeah. Followed by five hours sleep, followed by a long black coffee. <laughs> So that sort of setup is going to cause the 330-itis. Yep. Yeah.
2: But if we set ourselves up in the right way, yes. well, then we're going to be avoiding that, aren't we? Yes. And hopefully being able to put ourselves in that fat-burning, you know, situation again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: fat-burning not in the sense that, like, I want to get skinny and I want to mm. be lean. Fat-burning in the sense that we have two fuel choices that we can draw on. Yeah. Sugar. And sugar is going to perpetuate the cravings, the peaks and troughs in energy levels. It's going to contribute to inflammation in the body. On the flip side, fat is going to sustain really beautiful, stable levels of energy, mm-hmm. healthy appetite control, normal hormone balance. So we want to support fat burning, you know, yeah. not just to, to be to be of a certain body composition but really to no. feel optimal health.
2: Definitely. I know that like, I always match or put I put a few healthy fats in my meals. You know, coconut yogurts, nuts, chia seeds, flax seeds, avocados, hemp seeds. Always, and I'm fuller for full longer as well. Yeah,
1: you will be. You notice yeah. the difference. When, when I give people their build-their-plate guidelines and mm. I do that, you know, when I first meet with someone, we talk about what should be on their plate, you know, in a general sense and then we da- dial down into, the, like, the actual meals they're going to be consuming day-to-day. Oh. They're always like, ah, oh, I'm not going to be able to eat all of that. <laughs> all the other responses I only get to eat three times a day. Like what about my morning tea, my afternoon tea, and my after dinner snack? So I say just try it. Literally just try it. Go and try that smoothie with the protein in there and the two serves of good quality fats Mm -hmm. and the greens and the berries and you come back and tell me whether, A, you couldn't finish it or, B, you were still wanting to snack two hours later. Wow. There's there's no snacking two hours later when you have such a nutrient-dense meal. Yeah course Mm. and when when you have appetite control so when you're not wanting to snack every two hours suddenly your food choices become so much better Mm. because what like what is snack food most snack food is heavily processed it's got preservatives it's got fillers it's got colors and if we can just do away with the snack food and get away with three really nutrient dense meals in a day for some people it's two really nutrient dense meals Mm -hmm. then we have
2: like a whole other less thing to worry about. Yeah, exactly. You've got more time to be productive on your work, your family, people around you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. That's important
1: for productivity as well. Mm.
2: Mm. Definitely. Oh, So many people are going to be listening to this podcast and changing so many things about the way they work. And obviously, they can come and see you and make an appointment with you. Yeah. So coffee, one a day is completely fine. Your tolerance, obviously, is going to be very different depending on the individual. If I was to say polycystic ovarian syndrome Mm -hmm. and avoiding that in order to just sort of regulate other hormones, would you recommend that for people with polycystic ovarian syndrome to maybe cut down a little bit or to, you know, maybe withhold from their caffeine Caffeine intake? intake.
1: So polycystic ovarian syndrome um, is a hormonal condition which, just so everybody knows, is usually diagnosed by having two of the following three things. So, it's one, elevated testosterone as measured in the bloods or maybe identified through signs and symptoms. So, you know, that might be dark hair on the face or the nipples um, in females where we wouldn't usually expect that dark hair. Um, The the other thing may be irregular or absent periods, so periods that come, you know, less frequently than every 35 days. Mm. And then the other one is polycystic ovaries as determined by ultrasound. So you need to have two of those three things to be diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome now one of the traditional methods of treatment for polycystic ovarian syndrome is the use of a blood sugar controlling drug Mm. called metformin
2: yes the same drug they give to people with diabetes yes with type 2 diabetes yeah
1: um so the link between polycystic ovarian syndrome and blood sugar control and hormone balance is inextricable like it is undeniable that there is that that connection between PCOS or PCOS as some people call it and your food choices and your blood sugar control so how do we control that blood sugar without metformin? Mm-hmm. We do that through choosing to build our plate in the way that we've been talking about, yeah. you know, prioritizing the veggies, the proteins, the good quality fats, and deprioritizing, absolutely deprioritizing the processed carbohydrates, mm-hmm. because with that you can moderate your circulating insulin levels. Now, insulin is involved because excess insulin is going to cause excess testosterone, testosterone to be produced by the ovaries. And that's going to drive the high testosterone levels. There's other symptoms, yeah. 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 So, coffee, that comes into play here because one, the coffee can drive cortisol, which can cause. Drive the blood sugars and the insulin, and then the testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, low levels of progesterone will cause a longer cycle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So progesterone is produced by the ovaries, but there's also some produced by the adrenal glands. So if you've got adrenal glands that are overworked, then progesterone um, secretion can start to decrease as well. So coffee is not necessarily the first thing that I remove. In a case of PCOS, Mm. I do a lot more work on dietary foundations and blood sugar control
2: yeah,
1: and then look to to caffeine removal if we still need to pull the extra levers to affect the improvement and the change
2: absolutely Mm. i think you've given some really good tips already about you know choosing high vegetable diet you know fueling with healthy fats that type of thing all things that i've had a lot of success with in the past Mm. and you know for a woman you know with pcos where do you think like the first place is that you would start
1: Absolutely diet, absolutely real food. So taking a good hard look at what you are consuming Mm -hmm. and being honest with yourself about whether it is conducive to first and foremost blood sugar control, which you'll notice through appetite control. So I don't think I need to go through the plate again, but I call it the real food plate, that you need to focus on that real food plate. And until you've got that down pat, um, well, you should have that down pat. I was going to say mm-hmm. until you have that down pat, don't look at medication. But the reality is that often people are on the medication and then they start to learn about the dietary yeah. um, the dietary changes that they can make. And, and that's okay. You know, if you're mm. on the oral contraceptive pill or if you're on metformin, that's okay. You know, as we learned from me earlier on, it's all a learning process, right? Exactly. So um, if you are already on the medication, if you're not on the medication, then Regardless, look to your diet and make sure you are optimizing your diet and your blood sugar control
2: firstly. Beautiful. Mm. I think a lot of women out there are searching for answers. There's not a lot of information out there that's readily available that's sort of there's a lot of conflicting, you know, information. I think a lot of women are just handed the pill and said, Fend for yourself until you want to have a baby. Which I, I can't stand.
1: It's what happened to me. It's what I see happen to so many women in their 20s is that they have hormonal imbalances, so they're given this Band-Aid solution, which is let's just override your natural hormone production. Let's not understand why you're not producing hormones in the way you should, and let's just give you the pill. The pill, oh, my God, for so many reasons, it is not the first treatment that you should be going to for PCOS. It's going to exacerbate um insulin sensitivity or worsen insulin sensitivity which is going to perpetuate the underlying cause of PCOS for about 70% of cases. Wow. So it's it's just a band-aid solution and To all of the teenagers that go on the the oral contraceptive pill to overcome like acne or painful periods, it is
2: also not the solution. No, it's not. Mm. In your own practice, have you had experience, you know, with helping women manage their hormonal imbalances and all of that sort of thing before?
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I often work with women who have hormonal imbalances, whether that be an absent period, an irregular period, or whether they're just wanting to optimise things prior to conceiving, so making sure that they're in the right state for conception. But definitely, you know, I work with Mm -hmm. women who um, perhaps haven't thought of coming off the pill before, but when they're dealing with their own gut health challenges, they then start considering coming off the pill because we know that the pill will cause and contribute to dysbiosis in the gut, Mm -hmm. just like an antibiotic would. Yeah. So the conversation goes both ways. It's like um, helping people to come off the pill or people asking me if they can come off the pill. So lots of conversation about hormones because again, diet forms the foundation. And then, yes. you know, you can obviously layer on that foundation, which is, you know, when you might seek the, the herbal support, for example, mm. but the, the foundation lies in nutrition and making sure you're getting adequate amounts of of everything. But, yeah. you know, some support that I really like to bring in is vitamin C, mm. magnesium. We know that we chew through a lot more magnesium in the second half of our cycle. So, um using magnesium strategically to Mm. boost what's perhaps not there in our diet is is a a really nice support for um hormone imbalance or even just signs of of pms
2: wow yeah didn't know that and so many women out there aren't going to know these things i think it's really beautiful that you've been able to help women you know achieve these good results especially because a lot of women out there with pcos endometriosis infertility issues they're feeling quite alone and quiet.
1: You know, oh, like, you're not alone. You're not alone.
2: Yeah. I had somebody just like,
1: text me last week saying like, I hope oh, there's not too much information, but I got my period <laughs> yesterday. And yes. Yeah, that's the sort of stuff <laughs> that I want to celebrate. Yeah, I'm I cried
2: when I got mine back. Yeah. It was the most emotional, yeah. happy cry yeah. in the world. And then the next day
1: you're like, okay, you can go again. Yeah, But it is, you know, we should be happy when we get our period because mm. it is a barometer of health. In exactly. females, yep. a regular period is a barometer of health. And mm. if our period's gone A1 for a couple of months or a couple of years it is a sign
2: that something is not right under the hood exactly because like we were talking about before when we're constantly in that sympathetic you know nervous system we're what is it our body sort of shuts down it says no this is not a good state to have a baby and then you know all of that can affect the release of an egg
1: quite literally yeah so if your body doesn't feel like it's in a safe position to procreate like to create a whole other life force if it doesn't have it in within it then your hormone production won't be where it needs to be to be able to procreate
2: look yeah it highlights that our body is an amazing thing but it really also highlights that we do have to take care of ourselves better yeah we do have to take care of
1: ourselves and i i sit more in that other camp of our body is an amazing thing Mm -hmm. because in this day and age we are exposed to so much that could so easily put our body off yeah like the toxins that we talked about before the foods that like aren't even real foods like you know how (laughs) many people are eating just something like milk off the supermarket shelf and it's not real food it's been through so much processing to get to that point but Mm. we're exposed to all of these things that you know centuries ago we wouldn't be exposed to and our bodies are actually quite resilient you know um chronic illness and disease and um, metabolic conditions you know don't start to manifest until you know our late 30s 40s but unfortunately i think there are signs that the body is becoming slightly less resilient. So we've got increasing rates of autoimmune conditions, for example, which are signs that, yeah, we're getting a bit fed up.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Mm.
2: seems like you've obviously had your own amazing health journey and such success with changing the way that you eat and the way you move your body and the way that you use mindfulness. And I want to ask how that's now sort of inspired you to want to help others.
1: I think the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing is testament to the fact that it has inspired me to want to help others. So, exactly. You know, I studied at university when I was 17, 18, 19, but I didn't start becoming a practitioner until I was 29 or 30. Really? Yeah. So and that's because when I left university I I thought, who the hell am I to consult people on what they eat? Mm. I haven't even got my own my own diet under control. I haven't had enough life experience to understand what mm. it's like to manage a household or train for an iron man or or properly overcome the conditions. So I didn't have the experience that I thought I needed to be able to authentically sit on the other side of the table and, mm. and work with people on their nutrition. Uh, and it's because of the experiences that I've had and the learning that I've done that, yeah, I was like, holy shit, I've got a lot of experience and the the knowledge, To be able to help people to fast track their recovery and bring it all together. So the way that I practice is quite holistic in nature. So when I first meet somebody, I ask them about, you know, how much sleep they're getting, what medication they're on, what their stress management practices are. And also, you know, we'll talk to them about their training and their diet. You know, we take it all into consideration Mm. because it all needs to be factored in. It does. to, To create lasting and sustainable
2: health. Yeah the fully holistic look at what's going on inside that person and in their life as well. Yes. Yeah. And in social situations too because we we rarely forget that one. It's, you know, that's very important as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and food is an emotional thing as well. There's a lot of emotion attached to food for a lot of people. Um, so, again, life experience is really important so you can carry out those conversations with people and understand yeah. where they're at. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really just inspired to help people be better versions of themselves. I, you know, I did my I did some training and work experience in a clinical setting, in a hospital, and I just knew instantly that it was not for me. Yeah. You know, I had no interest in prescribing Sustagen to somebody, um, you know, in a hospital because for me that's not food. No. But what I do love is, is working with people who, who see the value in food mm. and who just want to learn more about how they can use
2: that. Definitely. And everything that you've been through and experienced makes you incredibly relatable, and I think that really helps When you're sitting in front of someone.
1: Yeah, you're so right. Because, I mean, there'd be nothing worse than sitting across from somebody saying, do three months of this detox. And, oh, it's not hard. Just do it. (laughs) Not knowing exactly what it's like to go through the detox themselves. You've been through it all.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You really have had an incredible journey. I would like to ask you a few questions about your own self-care, how you like to look after yourself in your life in a few different ways, so physically, mentally, and socially. Mm -hmm. Okay. Physically, mentally, socially. Make sure
1: I cover those off. Because I think we've discussed food
2: already. I think we've covered food. Would you
1: say that's physically
2: or? No. I would say that's internally.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I move every day. I go stir crazy if I don't move every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hamstring injury that stopped me running for six months, but I walk every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's Physically. physical. So I have to be outside. Yeah. Um, mentally, mm-hmm. I have to get to sleep. So yeah. I get seven hours of sleep a night minimum. Um, and I made a commitment to myself when I started practicing as a nutritionist that I would not let work get in the way of my sleep ever again. So it has really been affected by sleep in the past, but now it's like a non-negotiable seven hours, which is even like I'd love to get seven and a half hours every night, but seven hours is like the non-negotiable spiritually.
2: Oh, yes. Add that one in too. That that can be a part of mentally. yeah.
1: Um, I – yoga is my spiritual practice and i think Mm -hmm. everybody has different (laughs) different definitions of what spirituality is but yoga is my spiritual practice because it takes me to just like a what i think of mentally as like a central place like Mm -hmm. i'm not back there i'm not out there i'm here just in the moment yeah and yoga does that for me Mm -hmm. as does meditation and i either meditate daily or meditate within my yoga practice yeah beautiful
2: and then socially.
1: Socially. So I am quite happy to work away on my own for most of the day, um, but I need some social interaction. So uh, I I don't even need that much. I just need to see one person yep. in a day and get a hug from that person. Yes. Ideally 20 <laughs> seconds. Oh, that is heaven. Um, and... That's what I need socially.
2: Yeah. Um Brilliant.
1: If I don't get that I start to notice it.
2: Yeah. Well of course mm. they're all so important to our overall well being. You can't just have one without the rest of them and a few yeah. of them without one of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Self care is completely yeah, yeah at our core.
1: Good yeah. questions, I've never been asked it in that way. <laughs> but good to good to reflect on yeah. I mean there's lots of other things that I do but they're I guess some pillars yeah
2: amazing yeah is there anything else that you think that we may have missed today or anything else that you would like to talk about before we wrap things up I think we've talked about so much. We have. This we, has been an incredible episode. We've
1: gone down a few roads and a few forks. Oh, and I hope amazing. everyone listening has been able to piece it all together and, you know, <laughs> create their own little cheat sheets. There has been lots we've discussed. It has. I think what I would say in summary is that nutrition is incredibly relative. So I know we've talked about some supplements in this conversation and we've talked a lot about my journey, but nutrition is relative. So if you are dealing with your own, like, you know if you've got question marks against what you're doing if you've got obvious signs that what you're doing is not right um if you don't feel like you're working with the right practitioner for you then make sure you do reach out and find the right practitioner for you and somebody that can help you because i find that for some people the ego gets in the way and they think no no i should know what to eat um but you may not always know what to eat no. so like do reach out and seek support and create the right team yeah um that's the most important thing nutrition is relative so don't look to standard places for nutrition information try and get that tailored advice
2: and if they do want to come to you and get that tailored advice how can the listeners find you
1: yeah so you can find me um on my website which is nutritionally.com so it's basically nutrition and l e w o so you can find me there on my website uh, and there's details on the various locations that I practice in. I practice in Melbourne, in Torquay, and also virtually via FaceTime. Everywhere. Yeah. I'm everywhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. Literally, I work with people around the world. Uh-huh. That's, I guess, the beauty of um, of technology today mm-hmm. and also the modality that I work in. So, I can yeah. do everything through conversation. Yeah. Um, or you can find me on Instagram, which is nutritionally. So, follow me on there you're more than welcome to post questions via direct message but if I don't feel like I can do it justice then I will have to let you know and you can book in for a 15-minute complimentary consultation if you want to just have a brief chat before you you know you dive in more deeply to your nutrition. I think you're
2: going to be overwhelmed with messages and requests for, for appointments because you've proved today that you are just a wealth of knowledge and then you know exactly what you're talking about. And I think your past experience has really, really helped that. And I know myself, I'm sitting here wanting to just learn more and more from you. So I just want to say a big thank you for sharing everything that you know today. And I'm sure I'm going to have you back on this podcast. I think a lot of people are going to want to know more about different things. So hopefully you'll come back.
1: Thank you, Steph. I will definitely be back for sure. People should post their questions and we can cover them off next time. Amazing. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love.